Yeah, I think I summoned the conspiracy theorists. <laughs> Welcome! You are listening to Pomegranates and Pitchforks. We are a true crime and horror podcast that brings true stories and not-so-true stories together in beautiful and disturbing harmony. I'm Alexandria Youngray with my lovely co-host, Sunshine Bellon. Hi, everyone. That was it. That's what I got. That's good. That's good. That's good. <laughs> I really, I just have like some sort of weird complex about my intros. I can't quite get them right when I think about it. Guess it's true. It must be true to my awkwardness. Like, that's fine. <laughs> well, luckily, we're going back to high school this this time. Ooh, so I can put that awkwardness awkward, to good use. Awkward all around. <laughs> awkward all day. <laughs> yeah, that's a surprisingly fast intro. But you know what? Not everybody needs five minutes of us bullshitting. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they could have it if they wanted it. All right. This is a memorial episode, I guess? Yeah. Yeah. So the whole American terrorism thing, we we planned in advance in order to get this story out by April 20th, the 20-year anniversary of the Columbine High School Massacre. Yep. Which is... Which is still big heavy. Yeah, it's definitely like, as soon as I got the outline, I started getting uncomfortable. I was like, oh, no, that's right. We're doing this, which is like, you know, it's a good thing. But yeah, I mean, it's just (sighs) I think I think everybody has their shooting that really, really hurt them. Anybody who's like an 80s kid or younger. And, and anybody who's probably an, an 80s to 90s kid, their school shooting was Columbine. And then I know a lot of people who were mostly affected by Newtown mm-hmm. because they're younger. And yeah. So they don't remember Columbine. But, you know, a fucking elementary school, that's yeah. gnarly shit. Yeah, um, for sure. But, you know, we're going to get into some history and some legacy that'll kind of, this wasn't the first school shooting. The Columbine school shooting was not the first school shooting at Mm -hmm. all, but it was basically the first time that there was a school shooting in the cell phone era. Okay. And the way it was handled is the reason it, it got so big. Okay. And basically became... It's it's almost like not even a real story anymore. It's like a metaphor. Yeah. You know, like you you say Columbine and you know what the person is talking about. Yeah. So. So, yeah, that's that's all of American terrorism is is leading up to the 20th anniversary of one of the most traumatic things that's happened in our lifetimes. So, yeah, probably one of a, one of a few. Yeah. So let's uh let's get into this very very upsetting topic. Yay, <laughs> let's get into it. Yay. 
so I'm gonna do I'm gonna do my thing where I start with the history. Mm-hmm. Uh, history of school shootings in general. Okay, give me that backstory. So school shootings actually arguably go back as far as schools and guns existing in the same period. <laughs> okay. You know? Yeah. If there was a school and a gun, there was a school shooting. Technically, the first American school shooting mm-hmm. uh, happened before we were America. Really? Yeah, it was during one of the Native v. British Wars, mm-hmm. and it was four natives from the Lenape tribe shot and killed a schoolmaster and then killed most of the children in the school building in 1764. Damn. So it was really more of, I mean, it was, it was a, a Technically, because they shot somebody in a school. Yeah. But it was more of an act of war. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. It sounded a lot more like an act of war yeah. than what we think of as, as being this scenario in a school shooting. Yeah. Um, so so that's a little... It's very technically. Mm-hmm. And, and we'll get into some other things later that are a lot more what we know, you know? Mm-hmm. So, throughout the 1800s, most of your school shootings were actually just murders that happened to occur on school property. Okay. Where one to three people died. And sometimes it was a schoolboy who brought a gun to kill the headmaster. And sometimes it was just somebody firing into a school window. That's upsetting. Both of those things. Yeah. So like so like sometimes it was kind of what we think of as the school shooting, like a, mm-hmm. a disgruntled youth bringing a gun to school, and sometimes it was literally just a murder that happened to happen on school grounds. Okay. You know. Yeah. Then we get into the early 1900s and it, it's much of the same murder that happened to happen on school ground. Although there were a disappointingly large number of these firearm on school ground murders that were a man killing a female teacher over a romantic rejection. Oh. So either a marriage proposal refuser refusal or I saw at least one that was a woman filing for divorce. Oh. It's like fucking men are banned. I'm banning all of the men. <laughs> that's upsetting. Yeah. So so that's big ick. Then we get to, this isn't a school shooting, but it's basically the first big terrorist attack on a school in 1927, the Bath School Disaster. Okay, what happened there? So in Bath Township, Michigan, a disgruntled school board treasurer, a uh, 55-year-old Andrew Kehoe, murdered his wife, burned down his farm, and at the same time, he had a timed explosive set up to detonate in the Bath Consolidated School Building, right as school was starting. Oh, shit. So then, Keho drove to the school and killed himself with another bomb that was in his truck, which killed and injured more people. So in the end, 45 adults and children were dead, and 58 were injured. Holy shit. And I think at least like 36 of the dead were children. Mm. Which is a big old number. 
However, not a school shooting because it was a bombing. Because it was a bombing. Right. Oh, great. So, so here's the first real school shooting. The one that like really sticks in our mind in our, in the history of of America as a school shooting is the Texas Tower shooting in 1966. So, is this uh the sniper? Yeah. Yeah, it is. But I mean, the fact that you never get any of my weird true crime references. Yeah. So the fact that I'm like, all right, it's the Texas Tower shooting in the 60s. And you're like, oh, is that the sniper? That's kind of indicative of how major this event was. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. That's definitely true. Yeah. 1966, University of Texas, Austin. 25-year-old Charles Whitman stabbed his mother and wife to death the day before and then climbs to the top of the iconic clock tower in the middle of campus. And then he starts sniping people Mm-mm. as, you know, they're walking between classes. And I don't know if it's still on Netflix, but like, go watch The Tower. It's big heavy. It's big yeah, heavy. Yeah, that sounds upsetting. But it's, um, it, it has interviews with a lot of the survivors, both, um, you know, victims and students and mm-hmm. uh, like, police involved okay pretty cool and they basically like really artistically draw the retellings Mm -hmm. so it's kind of beautiful and you can kind of be there without all of the awfulness of actually watching something like that interesting it was it was very well well made i liked it a lot so if it's still on if it's still on netflix i recommend it yeah If I feel like I need to hurt myself, I probably will do that. (laughs) Yeah. So for over an hour and a half, he was sniping from the top of the tower. He killed 16 people and injured 31. Jesus Christ. uh, Including he shot a pregnant woman and she survived, but the baby didn't. Ugh. And then he was killed by the police. Yep. Then, for some reason, this kind of stuck in my mind. So I don't, I don't know how important this is for the collective unconscious, but it's important to me. Mm-hmm. Is the Cleveland Elementary School shooting in 1979. So we're in San Diego, California, and 16-year-old Brenda Spencer who lived across the street from the elementary school, shot and killed the principal and a school custodian and injured eight children. Oh my God. I think media asked why she did it. She simply said, I don't like Mondays. What? Yeah. She's still alive and in prison. Yeah, that's terrible. Yeah. She's, uh, she's pretty wild. I feel like she's iconic because she's basically the only female school shooter I know of. Yeah. I've not heard. That's not something it seems like you hear of. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Some of these some of these stories, like the Texas Tower, we mm-hmm. might want to cover as their okay. own episode. But, you know, we'll, we'll see if we actually do. <laughs> yeah, we'll see. Because uh, they're big heavy. They're big heavy. Yeah. Mm. But so was this whole 
last few months. Thanks for yeah. coming on this horrid trip with us, guys. Yeah, appreciate it. <laughs> um, <laughs> we're almost done with terrorism. Yay! Yay! So, school shootings continue ramping up into the 90s. And the end of the school year became known as school shooting season. Mm. Have you ever noticed that most school shootings happen in the spring? No, I didn't notice that. I think it's because spring semester is awful. Really? I don't know. I have no idea. But (laughs) whoever decided to make a school semester start in January is an evil bitch. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, that's true, isn't it? Spring semesters have always kicked my ass substantially more than fall semesters. Yeah. Being out and doing stuff like that in the wintertime is hard. Yeah. Well, and also, like, it starts in the worst month. Yeah. And so you fall behind immediately. And then it's so hard to catch up. I hate... Ugh. January can go die. (laughs) Anyway, so... So that's kind of where we're at. This is not, like, the first school shooting ever. And... In March 1998, these are the youngest shooters I know of. Two middle school boys, 11-year-old Andrew Golden and 13-year-old Mitchell Johnson. They pulled a fire alarm at the school and shot anyone fleeing. Oh my god. They killed four girls and a teacher and wounded ten others. An 11-year-old and a 13-year-old. Yeah, that's really young. Yeah. So a lot of these, like, you know, are kind of just like a history mm-hmm. of like where where we are as far as school shootings before this happens. But also keep in mind some of these facts, you know, the, mm-hmm. the bombing and the, the pulling the fire alarm and shooting at fleeing students. Literally March 1998, like a year prior Mm -hmm. just just keep that in mind you know and like as far as the makeup of school shooters goes there's no consistent profile other than almost a hundred percent male okay so men are banned men are banned banned. you know it's not jocks it's not goths it's not nerds or preps it's just anyone anybody can be a school shooter and i really don't like that Yeah. I mean, that's, there's no, there's no profile other than something, something disgruntled men. Usually they've, you know, suffered some kind of loss or, you know, some kind of slight that they feel like they can't get over, but so does everybody. Yeah. You know, there's, there's nothing consistent. There's nothing like, oh, we can prevent this by profiling this way. Right. Nothing we've found so far anyway. So, uh, let's get into Columbine. (laughs) Yay, let's talk about Columbine. So, Columbine is located in Littleton, Colorado, but named for the surrounding community of Columbine. Okay. And Colorado's state flower. Oh, cute. Which is actually a really, really beautiful flower. Yes, I've, uh, my grandparents have columbine all over at their house. I was like, oh, that's yeah. nice. I remember reading a... I don't think it was a poem. I think it was just an essay. 
in high school about how sad they were about Columbine the massacre because mm-hmm. Columbine the flower used to be their favorite flower. Oh. It was kind of like, oh. <laughs> yeah, that's like, mm. Yeah. Uh, Littleton, Colorado is contained within Jefferson County next to Denver. So if you do any research, any substantial mm-hmm. research on Columbine, you'll hear a bunch of people talking about Jeffco. Uh-huh. It's Jefferson County. Okay. Yeah. And then the high school was uh, formally founded in 1973. So it's not a terribly old school. And by 1999, contained about 2,000 kids from freshman to senior. Dang. That's a that's a really big school, right? We went to a tiny baby school, but that sounds like a really big school. I don't know. How big was, like, where Caroline People went, that have been to real schools. Is that a big high school? That sounds like a big high school. That sounds big to me, too, but I also question that a lot. But like, I don't know anything because we went to our graduating class was fifteen people. Yeah. <laughs> so like we went from basically a daycare center to real college and, and there's no in between for us. <laughs> <laughs> basically a daycare center. Oh, that's so no. Just that size. Just that size. Just that size. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't a real daycare center. We were big kids. <laughs> oh dear. Although, to this day, I do enjoy juice. (laughs) You really do. I love juice. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) So, I posted a couple of pictures of um, the the outside of the school. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to give you an idea of the area that we're looking at. Yeah. So, there's this this kind of round shape to it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I see that. That's... The um, the bottom floor is the cafeteria. Okay. And the top floor is the library. Okay, on that and whole glass this, section. Mm-hmm. And it's that whole iconic round shape. And then if you if you look closely at that second picture I posted, you can see that it's on a hill. Oh, yeah. And that's kind of important later in how, I guess, confusing everything was when it happened. Okay. We'll, we'll get into it. So, now let's talk about the boys. Uh. So, Eric Harris is Columbine number one. Okay. He looks weirdly similar to Timothy McVeigh. <laughs> <laughs> Can we just take, like, two seconds to talk about Columbine fangirls? Um, yeah, I guess we have to. (laughs) I mean, so, so like a while back, I don't even remember which episode because it wasn't having to do with the episode, but we made a stop putting flower crowns on Ted Bundy joke. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, I've seen like 50 memes about, you know, Ted Bundy wasn't that attractive. He killed women. Stop, you know, stop having the hots for Ted Bundy. I've never actually seen a meme th- about how hot Ted Bundy was. Yeah. I've never actually seen somebody talking about how hot Ted Bundy was. Yeah, that's that's so, true. Actually, I've never heard yeah. that either. Like, the best I've seen is occasionally people acknowledge that he was charming. Yeah. 
which if you're not allowed to do that, then you're just making it more dangerous for people. Yeah, for sure. But full on, one of the things that I did while researching this is I went to the Reddit, the mm-hmm. subreddit for Columbine. Oh, dear. That sounds like a dangerous place. I mean, Reddit has a lot of decent research. You just have to take it all with a grain of salt. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It can be a good place to get some different thoughts and opinions on things mm-hmm. and maybe get like a start for research if you want to go down the wrong rabbit hole. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, uh, it's a thing. <laughs> it is a thing. Every every once in a while I'll check Reddit for for part of my research. It is mm-hmm. never it is never solely where I get my research. In fact, it is never where I get a good percentage of my research. I just like to check there sometimes. Yeah. And they so a lot of a lot of the official story that we're using for this is through a man named Dave Colon who was on the scene mm-hmm. and reporting when this first happened and then took about 10 years with all of the information that he could get, which is thousands and thousands and thousands of documents mm-hmm. and wrote a book that basically dispelled all of the myths about Columbine that we know, you know? I don't know if I really even know any myths about Columbine. I imagine that you think that they were bullied. I mean, that was a thought, yes. And that they were outcasts and didn't have a whole lot of friends. Mm, yes. That they were influenced by video games and, and and the media and bad parents and... Yeah, probably all of the above. Yep. All of that stuff. Yeah, yeah. All of that was first day fucked up reporting that mm. just sort of snowballed. That's upsetting too. To what we now think it is. Hmm. Anyway, he he basically he gave a completely different, I guess, psychoanal- psychoanalysis of these two boys as the psychopath and the depressive. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't about bullying and it it wasn't about bad parenting, you know, it was about them wanting to kill a bunch of people and being fucked up. And and we'll get into that, but Reddit hates these guys. Oh yeah. Or Reddit hates Dave Colon. Oh. Yeah. Reddit hates Dave Colon and they acknowledge that the massacre was awful and a lot of people suffered for it. But they also, like, straight up fanboy over Dylan and Eric. Oh, no. If you look up Dylan Claybold and Eric Harris, mm-hmm. you you have to go to the first page of the Google Images ser- searches to find fan art of those boys. Mm. Fan- literal fan art? Literal fan art. And some of it is very artistic and well done. <laughs> oh, no. And it's like, no, 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 no. Actually, stop putting flower crowns on Dylan and Eric. And you know what? I actually have seen flower crowns on Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold. Unlike Ted Bundy. Unlike Ted. So, just a quick aside for the fucking fangirls. 
that's weird as shit, and I don't know why people do this. Yeah, why would you do that? But yeah, yeah. Just a just a quick aside. I don't even know like how to do anything with that. Just I gotta I gotta take a moment to talk about fangirls, and it's not just girls. It is literally just everyone. So, Eric Harris, <laughs> him a boy, him a boy, him a boy. So, Eric David Harris was born April 9th, 1981, in Wichita, Kansas, to Wayne and Catherine Harris. Wayne was career military. I Mm -hmm. believe he was a pilot. And Catherine stayed at home with the kids. Eric moved quite a few times in his early life. Mm -hmm. And a long part of his formative years, he spent in rural Michigan. In 1993, the family moved from Plattsburgh, New York, to Littleton, Colorado, when Wayne retired from military service. And Eric really resented the moving, because he was always the new kid, and he couldn't, like, establish his dominance or whatever. Right. And, like, I moved a lot as a kid. You moved a lot as a kid. It sucks. But, like, fucking get over it. Some kids move a lot, especially military brats. Some kids move a lot. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. But he he was really resentful about it. At, at some point during high school, I think during a uh, court-appointed program, he was assigned Luvox, mm-hmm. which is an SSRI. And a drug usually prescribed for controlling OCD. Okay. I think basically one of one of the things that got brought up a lot, you know, shortly after the shooting was, oh, you know, they were on this antidepressant, you know, maybe that made them go crazy. Right. Because that's a thing. Yeah. But look, I was on an antidepressant when I was 17 that... I don't know if it saved my life, but it probably saved my life. You saw me. Mm-hmm. You you knew me. Yeah. <laughs> it, I didn't shoot anything. <laughs> yeah. Chill. Eric also was uh, obsessed with Nazis and natural selection and the Doom video game. Okay. Which is the Doom, the, the violent video game thing was also regularly blamed for school shootings. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I don't think I've ever played it, but I've, I've definitely seen gameplay of it. You're just some dude that goes around killing demons. Right. Well, I think that there's that bigger concern of just like normalizing violence, right? Which on, on one hand I can empathize with, but on the other, it's like, well, I don't know. It's probably not the biggest deal in the world. And... I don't know. Society is a little bit violent. Yeah. I honestly... But I don't know if the two feed into each other, really. I I don't think that... I don't think violent video games cause violence. No. I think that if you are a functioning human being, you're capable of recognizing fake violence and real violence are different violence. Yeah, you're right. And killing demons... <laughs> not the same as killing children at your school yeah yeah and eric was a smart kid he knew the difference so 
Eric kept a journal in high school after he was arrested with his friend Dylan Klebold. He titled it The Book of God. Okay, then. Yeah. And that kind of gives you an idea of his personality. And he filled it with homicidal fantasies and nihilism. He also drew a lot of violent stuff, but it it all looked like, you know, I've looked at a lot of the drawings. Mm -hmm. It all looked like it was inspired by Doom. Okay. And uh, I don't know. Teenagers draw violent stuff. Like, it, it is indicative. I just don't know if that's, I don't know. I don't know. Right. It's maybe correlative, but not necessarily causal. Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah. And it is interesting, though, because I feel like, I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but I do feel like um, what you're presenting to me is saying that, like, they didn't really have any mental health issues and that their lives were normal and that kind of thing. But it is interesting, the stuff you're describing to me, it's like a lot of little things that are really indicative of not having any coping skills and having poor emotional development and like the kind of stuff that I see and work with with kids all the time. Yeah. It's interesting having this discussion with the job that I have. Like, Well, I'm not saying that they had no mental illnesses. No, and I, I, I'm not trying to, you know, I'm just saying that uh, it's interesting hearing this story and working in that environment mm-hmm. and sort of understanding that that's, I mean, oh, that's kind of the freak level. you out so bad because you work with those kids. Well, <laughs> no, not I mean, because first of all, it's not like they have they, access to guns. Yeah, but... Just sort of more understanding that for a few of them, that's like the level they were probably at before they got to us. Right. And they're like, just like, I guess kind of circling back to that whole mental health thing where it's like, mm-hmm. you know, you can't not address mental health and expect your children not to be crazy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, another thing that he wrote about a lot in his journal was like, um, he was a big fan of natural selection Mm-hmm. And believed that it would save the world. Oh, of course. Because, you know, the the weak, you know, being destroyed by the powerful. Mm-hmm. And he talked about how the rest of the world wouldn't survive a final solution, a la the Nazis. I'm sorry, I just facepalmed and I forget people can't hear that. Like, that's so... <laughs> yeah, okay. Yep. Yep, that's a thing. Um... And we'll, we'll get into it more. It'll be more indicative. Because, like, I, a, a lot of the stuff that I'm talking about here is very, like, just teenage boy. Yeah. You yeah, know? it's like being it, like, interested in things for shock value or yeah. Yeah, taking or taking a genuine interest in the morbid and, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, because, I mean, like, I was a morbid kid. I've always been morbid. That's kind of one of my weird things. But like, Well, clearly, look at this podcast. Exactly. <laughs> but... I'm also a big pacifist, you know? I don't yeah. like violence. Yeah. That's real. <laughs> you know, which is why I talk about this in a political setting, not in a shock value, you know, let's talk about true crime for entertainment. Yeah. This is entertainment. I'm also trying to tell a story with it. Yeah. You know? Because I don't like violence for the sake of violence. No, violence is something that you have to, like, come to terms with whatever extent it's present in your life. And Yeah, like... exactly. But, you know, a lot of this edgy teenager shit is just edgy teenager shit. And it won't really make sense until later mm-hmm. why so many people 
now believe that he was a psychopath. Okay. Now, quick aside for DSM talk. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you know this, but the listeners probably don't. With personality disorders, they can't be diagnosed until you're 18. I did know that. Technically, Eric turned 18 right before the massacre. Oh, really? But I still think, you know, like a post-mortem, barely 18-year-old psychopath diagnosis is a little sketch. But I definitely think he was headed down that path, you know? And, like, a lot of the stuff in his journals talked about how he wanted to, like, rape and kill girls at school. Jesus. You know, like, he very well could have become a serial killer if he hadn't become this, you know? Right. Or a mass murderer in some other setting, you know? But... (sighs) I don't know. I think maybe the, the murder and rape gets to like a nope nope that's too far yeah just <laughs> that's nope. beyond just violent fantasies that's like a no 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 you're, you're not even allowed to think that we're thought crime police now <laughs> but you know the the stuff before that like being into violent video games and and writing about violent shit in your journal that's just teenage boy stuff yeah i do agree with that to an extent yeah so now Dil- Dylan Klebold, Klebold, Klebold. <laughs> so Dylan Bennett Klebold was born September 11th, 1981 in Lakewood, Colorado to Thomas and Susan Klebold. They were pacifist Lutherans that okay. maintained some Jewish heritage, I believe from Sue's side. Okay. And Dylan, like his older brother, was named after a poet. Aww. So, slightly different family background as far as, like, you know, fundamentals. Okay. But in third grade, he began the Colorado Chips program, which is challenging high intellectual potential students. Okay. With Brooks Brown, who is an on-again, off-again friend for the rest of their life. Well, his life. <laughs> and Klebold stayed in the program until he aged out in middle school. He found both the chips and middle school to be particularly difficult, but he tended to bottle up his mo- emotions and not really show them until eventually he'd explode in these extreme uncharacteristic rages. That's, yep, that's some behavioral yeah. problems right there. It's the kind yep. of shit that I deal with. Absolutely. Yeah, and so Dylan kept a journal in high school, and it was, I think it was for most of high school, it wasn't like after he got arrested. And his his journal was entitled, Existences, a Virtual Book. Okay. So, he he mostly talks about how sad he is. He talks about self-medicating with alcohol, about cutting himself about girls he's become fixated on and then later how they don't even know he exists and he should just kill himself and his his journal had pages pages and pages of drawings of hearts really yeah that's interesting it's super it's super super like opposites yeah it's very strange like this journal is my journal from high school (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. So I was a sad girl. I was a sad girl. <laughs> he he regularly talks about suicide. Mm-hmm. And several of his entries are signed off with goodbye as if they were intended to be his last entry. Right. And his final suicide threat was April 10th, 1998, which is over a year before the massacre. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that's a little bit indicative. Of what? Of when they started planning. Okay. So you think they started planning at that time? Mm Mm-hmm. And I'll get into this. So so let's talk about the boys together. Okay. It, it was a little bit of a folly I do. Yeah. Although it might have been more of an Eric Harris plus. Okay. You know? Yeah. It's kind of hard to tell. So Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold met in middle school. But they didn't become inseparable best friends until midway through high school. And and certainly they they experience some bullying as, you know, it's school, it's growing up. But the two were actually fairly popular with a large group of friends. The boys attended football games and were capable of getting dates to dances. And they actually were bullies. Their like favorite thing ever was to call other kids fag. Oh, nice. Uh, at one point, Dylan actually got suspended for scratching fag into another kid's locker. What a jerk. And they'd make fun of the special ed kids. Hmm. You These know? guys suck. Yeah. They they were the bullies. And that's that's the thing, is that, like, the bullied kid is not the kid that does the murder and is that true it's the bullies and that's true statistically right like all through because that's i feel it's like just hard a pervasive to tell because it's such a it's such a, yeah it's a pervasive belief yeah so it's kind of hard to tell but i feel like it makes more sense for the bullies to be the school shooters people who are used to acting out physically to get their way what yeah exactly you start believing that you're entitled to physically harming other people yeah it's the same with abusive men killing their spouses. Yeah. You know, just very rarely. Yeah. Very rarely do you get a spousal murder that doesn't have some kind of abuse in the history of that relationship. Yeah. And so, you know, you have a mass murder where these kids thought that they had the right to do this. Mm hmm. So, have have you heard the phrase, the trench coat mafia? I have, but I don't know what it's referring to. Okay, so, incorrectly assigned to Eric and Dylan. Basically, after the school shooting, a lot of people believed that they were part of this group. Okay. The actual story was this kid, Eric Dutroux, got a black duster for a Dracula costume for Halloween. Mm-hmm. And the costume didn't work out, but he liked the jacket and he kept wearing it. And then his friends started wearing it or wearing trench coats themselves. And then they started calling themselves the trench coat mafia after somebody said that's what they looked like. They looked like they were in a trench coat mafia. And then, you know, they had a page in the yearbook. Okay. It did not include Eric and Dylan. It did include Chris Morris, who was a friend and co-worker to the boys at Blackjack Pizza. 
Mm. Now, Chris Morris comes up way later. Okay. But basically, that's how the trench coat mafia gets assigned to them. Okay. Also, during the, stu- the shooting, they wore trench coats. And there were a couple other writings that mm-hmm. were attributed to them. Okay. But they were not actually part of this group. The trench coat mafia was actually the bullied kids. They were actually the outsiders. Right. I was going to say, that sounds like way, like, that sounds like guys we went to high school with, like, way nerdy kids. Like, Yeah. So, in January 1998, Eric and Dylan are arrested for breaking into a van and stealing some electronics. Assholes. They plead guilty and are placed in a juvenile diversion program. Because they're first-time offenders. Mm -hmm. White kids, man. Or just super suburban kids. Yeah. Like. So, so anyway, the boys are going through this diversion program. Eric does particularly well. Okay. He maintains his straight A's. He attends all of his counseling. And he writes this very sincere appearing apology letter. Which includes a statement about how... You know, they're sorry for doing the act and they're sorry for getting caught. And he is sorry for doing the act. And he understands the difference. Oh, okay. All the while in his journal, he's talking about how it's bullshit that he got in trouble for this. And, you know, blah, 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 natural selection. He shouldn't have gotten in trouble for breaking into this person's van and stealing their shit because they weren't able to protect their van and he was able to get into it. So he deserved the shit that he stole. Oh, God. Yeah. So so stuff like that. The fact that the fact that he was able to so convincingly lie. And have this two faced you know, personality Mm -hmm. is one of the big reasons that people think that he was a psychopath. Right. Yeah. I could see why they would start to draw that conclusion. You know, it's not, it's not just the like fucked up beliefs. It's also that he technically had no remorse, but he was very, very good at convincing people he did. Right. Which is, I think more upsetting than somebody who just doesn't have remorse. (laughs) Right? Yeah. You know, somebody who just doesn't have remorse is just fucking crazy, but at least you can tell they're fucking crazy. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You're like, oh, stay away from that guy. But like somebody who's like, no, I'm actually very, very sincerely apologize. I'm sorry. And you're like, oh, okay, I believe you. And then they go and shoot up a school. (laughs) It's, it's, it's good times, Mm -hmm. right? It's good times. Anyway, Dylan ends up just sort of going along with the program. Mm -hmm. You know, he's a lot more dejected about it. And around this time, partially because of the anger and resentment and embarrassment of this event, Eric and Dylan begin planning their own little judgment day. Mm. Judgment day. Yeah. And, you know, that kind of goes back to the whole final solution that Mm -hmm. the the rest of the world wouldn't survive because they don't deserve to but they have a judgment day because they're gods and they deserve to you know Mm -hmm. and it's it's actually believed that it was initially planned for april 19th which is the same day as the oklahoma city bombing right 
So, so not only are we, you know, telling the American terrorism story is like a lead up of like, look, terrorism includes school shootings, but also the Oklahoma City bombing actually did literally influence this massacre. Right. And literally, yes. Yeah. They, they, they laughed at school shooters and they wanted to outdo Timothy McVeigh by creating a massive body count to dwarf Oklahoma City. Mm. You know, they were very, very That's deeply painful. Yeah. And the plan was, so, you know, go back to the history of school shootings that we talk about. The plan was to set up an enormous bomb inside the school that would kill all 500 people sitting in the cafeteria during lunch. Holy shit. And then shoot people from the outside of the school as they flee the building. You know, like those little shit middle schoolers did. Yeah. Oh. And they didn't intend to live through it. They, I think that they were planning on suicide by cop. Okay. And then for at least a year, they, they just keep on as if everything's fine. So. Being extra super sneaky. Mm-hmm. They, they continue going to school they continue you know eric's getting straight a's they hang out with friends they act like you know they're planning on graduating and going to college and living their full lives yeah which is just shady as fuck yeah that's so it makes me like not that they didn't deserve to die that way but it's all it is too bad as far as understanding like the i don't know That'd be a helpful psychology to understand. Yeah. Well, they didn't die by suicide by cop. They died by suicide. Oh. Well. Yeah. That's gross. Which is even more disappointing. But yeah. It's like, well, <laughs> it's a whole, the whole story is just so upsetting. But yeah, no, it would be immensely helpful to have their, their opinions on things because this really was the first school shooting that was such a big publicized big deal Mm -hmm. and same with the the texas tower shooting they died yeah so it's hard to really get any sort of benefit from their actions now that said in the texas tower shooting his suicide note basically talks about like i've been getting these really bad headaches and now i'm really angry definitely do an autopsy and check my brain when i'm dead and they did find a giant brain tumor dang yeah that's intense which is pretty crazy and then you know we'll get into it a little bit but they actually you know through their journals and through some of the tapes that they left behind we were able to get more information on their on their motivations on their thought process but partially because yeah they they died before we could ask them what the fuck and partially because the media spread a lie for so long, it's not even public what their real motivations were. You know, yeah. everybody just thinks that it was revenge on the bullies. Which is not a helpful, like, I think that can actually glorify violence in the minds of a lot of people who do feel dejected. And I think it does. Also, just anytime you believe a falsehood, it hinders your understanding it. Yeah. You know? Well, honestly, I think that it victim blames the victims, the school. Yeah. Yeah, pretty much. And it martyrs 
the perpetrators. Yeah, I think that's a perfect way to describe it. It's not, it's not okay. If they really were bullied, that'd be one thing, but they weren't bullied any worse than anybody else. Right. And they were contributing to the bullying. Right, I think that's even more important to note. Yeah. Everybody gets bullied. High school is hard. Junior high is hard. School is hard. Life is hard. Being 18 and under is hard. But normal people don't kill people to deal with their problems. Right. I feel like that's the big, that's, that's really the big difference is like, you can watch your violent video games and you can have your violent fantasies, but like, you need to understand that we live in a society where it is not okay to kill people. Yeah. And I don't think that that's getting properly socialized into some people. <laughs> yeah, I think that's exactly the problem. I think the phrase properly socialized is, is pretty key. I, that's Again, I feel that way at work all the time. We're just like, oh my god. I don't know, when you said something about you can't blame the parents in the back of my head, I was like, oh really? Because you learn a lot about the dynamic between kids and their parents and you're like, oh my god, how can people suck so hard at like raising oh, non-shitty yeah. humans? Like. Well, I mean, like, I've worked with troubled youth, and 90,000% of the time, those parents are awful. Yeah. But I actually think that Dylan and Eric had really, really good supportive parents. I just, I guess, in, in, unless you do have a psychological, like, issue, I just don't see that kind of behavior being able to manifest if the parents weren't doing something, like... These kids did have psychological issues. Okay, well... Yeah, Eric Harris was probably a psychopath, mm-hmm. which is something that's kind of born. Yeah. You know, you're just born without the ability to empathize. Which is a and scary thing. And Dylan Klebold was immensely depressed. Yeah. So his mother has actually spoken up a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, she... She has posited the theory... That I agree with that Dylan went along with this scheme because he wanted to die. And this was an elaborate suicide pact for him. Now, he also showed immense cruelty and was awful, but I do think that that this was a weird way for him to commit suicide. Okay. Well, that seems valid. Yeah. I I think that, and Eric was put into counseling Mm -hmm. with a psychotherapist. Yeah. And Dylan hid his emotions so well. He didn't tell his parents that he was suffering, you know? Yeah. And so like, I'm sure every parent makes mistakes, but I actually think that these parents didn't do anything wrong. I don't think that these parents did anything that any other parent wouldn't have done. Yeah. Interesting. So, okay. So we just got it, got past them like planning and Mm -hmm. what the plan was. So around this time, they be, they begin experimenting, creating pipe bombs. Because again, remember their plan was a bombing, not a shooting. Right. Well, bombing and shooting, right? They were going to, yeah, yeah. It was a it was a bombing first and then a shooting afterwards. Yeah. And they they even got friends to help them purchase as many fireworks as they could get their hands on to make more and more pipe bombs. <sighs> now, in March, 
1998, this is this is who you get to blame. Not these people, but I'll, I'll explain. Okay. So in March 1998, Randy and Judy Brown, their parents of Brooks Brown, who I brought up uh, in Dylan Klibold's yeah. childhood. Mm-hmm. So Randy and Judy Brown, parents of Brooks Brown, they file a report with the police that Eric had threatened to kill Brooks as well as others on his website, on his personal website. Okay. And with this information and some knowledge about pipe bombs having been found in the area, because his website also brags about creating pipe bombs, the police prepared an affidavit for a search warrant for Harris's house. But they never submitted it. Why the hell not? I think they figured it was just kid stuff. Uh, I don't like that. I don't think cops should ignore that stuff. No, no, they should not. And I think, I think that's the reason that, oh, it was bad parenting. Oh, they were bullied. Was allowed to continue. Is because the cops didn't do their job when something really closely related to this was reported. Yeah, the cops didn't want the world to know that they could have and should have prevented the Columbine massacre. Because if they had if they had searched Eric Harris's house, they would have found pipe bombs. And, they would- and he would have been violating his, you know, his am- very, very recent arrest. Yeah. Well, regardless of any... Program. Regardless of and any... And he would have been arrested. Yeah, you would have been arrested immediately, regardless of any other offenses or anything. Like, that's... Big well, no yeah, no. but he wouldn't have been put in a diversion program for his first time offense yeah. because he already had an offense. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. And <sighs> this wouldn't have happened. This wouldn't have happened if they had submitted that goddamn search warrant affidavit. Ooh. Uh, so are there conspiracy theories regarding why they weren't submitted? There's a lot. Yeah. yeah. But I think it was just police laziness. Yeah. It's like, never mind. I don't actually want to go. Same with a ton of our stories. I don't want to go start to teenager's house. Never mind. Yeah. And like, I get that like in the nineties, we still thought that teenagers weren't violent and dangerous. And now we know that teenagers are the most violent and dangerous of any group. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. But you know, I, I I do. I, I think it was police laziness. And I don't feel like cops should get to be lazy. I I don't think so either. But that's what happened with Jacob Wetterling. And that's what happened now. And that's what happened in (sighs) all sorts of situations. Yeah. All the while, Eric was researching gun laws and the Brady Bill and gun show loopholes. And they use a... Friend from school, mm-hmm. 18-year-old at the time, Robin Anderson, and a friend of a friend through their pizza job, uh, Mark Maines, to purchase two shotguns, mm. a rifle, and a semi-automatic handgun. I don't like that either. Through the gun show loophole. <laughs> and you can buy them at 18. Yep. You can buy them at 18. You don't have to pass a background check. You don't have to get, you know, a waiting period. You just go. You show them your license. Dang. Yeah. And apparently, like, 50% of guns sold are through gun shows. Right, I knew that. I knew that guns were, like, 
super so easy to obtain. I don't even know if it's a loophole. Yeah, anymore. It's just like the way. <laughs> I think it's just it's just the thing. <laughs> yeah. Literally, this could be solved if we just have like a gun license. Maybe I'm like wrong, but I feel like too you can just sell your guns as individuals from one person to another without. Oh yeah, totally. Any wait anything too. So that's the thing is people just swap yeah. guns. Yep. Yep. But you know, to to say maybe we shouldn't let you do that would be infringing on my rights. Mm-hmm. Which is so stupid because like literally, if you are a law abiding citizen, it doesn't make it that much harder for you to get guns. No, it doesn't. It adds a step like registering your vehicle. Yeah. Like, people have killed people with cars, and so we have a bunch of fucking safety requirements with cars. Yeah. I, I don't see why we're not allowed to have you just get a license. Because people need something to be up in arms about. Because people need something to be up in arms about. So... So I don't actually think this, but I've thought about thinking this. (laughs) That is a stupid thing. Anyway, so there's the conspiracy theorists Mm -hmm. who think that shootings, mass mass shootings are all faked. Oh, that's heinous. By the liberals Mm. so that they can get stricter gun laws so that, you know, the new world order can take over and all that jazz. It all comes back to the new world order. (laughs) Uh, What is this bad, big bad new world order? Everything is thinly veiled anti-Semitism. Oh, right. Right. Anti-Semitism. <laughs> yeah. It's the, it's the less racist way of saying Zog. Right. <laughs> but, you know, like, like, uh, oh God, what is it? Alex Jones. Mm-hmm. He, he has all of these conspiracy theories about, um, Newtown. He's actually getting sued right now by the parents Oh, really? Um, by some of the parents of the Newtown victims, because he was saying that, you know, oh, I bet that they're not, you know, I bet this didn't really happen. Nobody would actually shoot up children. They're just trying to come for our guns. Oh, my God. That said, after school shootings, gun laws get more lax. Really? Because the NRA starts freaking out and gun advocates start freaking out that we're going to come for your guns. So they push for... Less control. For laxer gun laws. Yeah. And I honestly, I don't actually think this is the case, but I, I want, I, I, I understand a conspiracy theory. I encourage a conspiracy theory that advocates that it's actually right wing gun advocates that are faking school shootings or causing school shootings. So that they can get more lax gun laws. Because it works out so well for them? Because it actually works out that way. That's how it actually works out. That's what the numbers are pointing to. Oh, crazy. Blah, blah, blah. Gun show loophole. Is how they got their guns. And they made their pipe bombs. Now, then they start practice shooting at a makeshift firing range in the mountains. So how did we get all this information? Um, well, is it from their journals mostly or yeah, all of it's through their journals. There's a couple of like video recordings of them. Okay. So this is all Um, through their videos still in their journals. mm -hmm. Okay. But it's pretty accurate, you know, Mm -hmm. great timeline. Yeah. 
Because it was, I mean, it was them reporting it, you know? Right, that makes a ton of sense. Yeah. So, and I've actually seen videos of them practice shooting uh, with with friends. It wasn't just them alone up in the mountains. And assuming that somebody's not trying to shoot people, I guess you go and shoot with friends. Like, we've done that. Yeah. Technically. Yeah, that's true. And, and you know, it's a fun thing to do with your friends if you're not fucking planning on murdering people yeah (laughs) if you're not planning on murdering people so in february 1999 like what that's two months before eric completes the diversion program and he gets like stunning reviews from everybody who graduates him out again kind of going to that mayhaps a psychopath theory they Work their final shift at Blackjack Pizza Friday, April 16th. They both go to prom that Saturday. Robin Anderson, who was the the friend who bought them most of their guns mm-hmm. at the gun show, uh, is actually uh, Dylan Klebold's date. Oh. <laughs> I, they just went as friends, but, you know, yeah. it's kind of like a... Uh. Yeah. <laughs> there, there were some conspiracy theories with... With Robin Anderson. I watched this lady interview her and was like, so, how come they didn't shoot you? And I was like, bitch, be nice. <laughs> That's so upsetting. How come they didn't it shoot you? It was so you? mean. I cannot believe that she agreed to be interviewed. But, you know, she's a 18-year-old just graduated. Like, yeah, she probably didn't realize that the lady would be such a cunt to her. But Yeah, I'm sure not. Anyway, so, you know, they, they go to prom. Harris postpones the original date for the attack mm-hmm. because he wants to buy more bullets because he had just turned 18, so he no longer needed a middleman. So the original attack was going to be April 19th, the mm-hmm. Oklahoma City bombing. But April 20th worked because 420 was actually the birth date of Hitler. Yay. I was talking to my uncle about that. I was like, because we were talking about Earth Day activities. I was like, yeah, April 20th is a bunch of things. (laughs) Boy, howdy it is. (laughs) So, let's get to the date. Let's do it. This is is heavy because it's a play-by-play. Okay. All right. April 20th, 1999. Dylan and Eric get up early. They both leave the house by 5.30 a.m. Dylan's mom, Sue, is awoken by Dylan's movement around the house. He was in upstairs bedroom and they were main floor. Mm-hmm. And she asks why he's up so early. And the last thing he says is bye as he leaves. That's it. Just bye. She told that story in one of the talks that she gave. Because she actually became like an advocate for suicide pre- prevention. Mm-hmm. And it just broke my heart. Yeah, that's... Which is another reason I don't think that Sue was a bad mom. She loved and cared for him, you know? Oh, Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. And, and not in like a, I love you, but I'm a terrible parent kind of way, but in like a, I really think that she was a caring mom. Yeah. But, so, the boys place a bomb in a park several miles from the school. This is, this is part of the plan. They're hoping to draw emergency services attention away from the school. Oh. So that they can buy them more time for the massacre. <sighs> now... That bomb, like, kind of goes off, but it creates, like, a little tiny fire that 
mm-hmm. gets almost no attention. They didn't even attach like they they didn't even attach the two until later when they were going through their journals. They're like, oh, okay. <laughs> but this whole thing, if you think about it, is actually a botched bombing, not shooting. Right. Right. Yeah. So Eric brings a rifle and a sawed-off shotgun. Dylan brings a sawed-off shotgun and a semi-automatic pistol. They wear trench coats to cover their weapons. Right, like you do. Yeah, but again, trench coat mafia. They're also wearing baseball caps. Eric is wearing a white shirt with the words natural selection printed on front. Dylan is wearing a black shirt with wrath printed on front. Which I'm sure if you look, you will find so much fan art. Oh, man. <laughs> of those particular details. Yeah. There was a there was a uh, another chibi illustration that was both of them together and they were wearing those shirts. Yep. That's why. <laughs> they're, they're infamous shirts. Mm. So Eric and Dylan park in separate parking lots. Part of the reason for that is because each of their cars are set up to explode later when emergency services would, would begin arriving, mm. thus claiming more lives. Yep. Wow. Car bombs also don't work. Obviously. Obviously. So Eric actually runs into Brooks Brown in the parking lot. The, yeah. The kid who he fucking threatened to kill. Yeah. And so Brown had... You know, they'd been kind of on-again, off-again friends, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So he was actually concerned that Eric and Dylan hadn't been at school that day. He knew that Dylan was kind of a mediocre student, but Eric was a straight-A student, and he had missed a philosophy exam. Oh. So Brooks actually starts by teasing Eric and being like, hey, dude, where have you been? Blah, blah, blah. Right? Yeah. And Eric responds, it doesn't matter anymore. Brooks, I like you now. Get out of here. Go home. Dang. So Brooks left campus and was like, what the fuck? And then later he starts hearing gunfire. Ugh. Now at 11.10 a.m., first lunch starts. The They have four rotating lunch periods. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a school of 2,000 people, the idea there'd be about 500 people in the cafeteria during each lunch period. Okay. At 11.14 a.m., two duffel bags are placed on the floor of the cafeteria under two opposing columns. These are propane tank time bombs. Mm. Now, remember the Murrah building yeah. and how it fell? Mm-hmm. They knock down a column. They The roof collapses. So the plan really was to kill the 500 people in there. Yeah. Wow. The bombs don't work. Glad they suck at making bombs. Oh, boy, they do suck at making bombs. Thank God. Because actually very much so if they had work, if the bombing had worked, this would have been a a dwarfing body count of Timothy McVeigh. Mm. That's so gross. But, yeah. Thank God they sucked at, I think it was the fuses that they they fucked Mm. up. But, whew. (laughs) So let's get into the big yuck yep let's do it at eleven nineteen a.m 17 year old richard castaldo and rachel scott they're both 17 are outside eating lunch together when a pipe bomb is thrown at them it didn't actually do anything 
Then, 60 feet away, Dylan and Eric pull out their guns and start shooting. Mm. Rachel Scott is shot four times, killing her instantly. Richard Castaldo is shot eight times, but he doesn't die. His injuries include two shattered vertebrae, leaving him paralyzed from the waist down. Wow. He plays dead until he can be removed from the site. Three students walk out of the cafeteria. One of the boys aims and fires, hitting all three students. Mm. Two more students run for cover and are shot. Now, one of these students shot outside of the school was 15-year-old Daniel Rorbo. He did not survive. At 11.23 a.m., a Columbine student first calls 911. Eric and Dylan, out of targets outside, begin to enter the school, firing freely and leaving pipe bombs wherever they go. Uh, teacher Patty Nelson recognizes the boys as Columbine students and runs to the library. The library contains 52 students, two teachers, and two librarians. At 11.24 a.m., a Jefferson County Sheriff arrives on the scene and exchanges gunfire with Eric Harris. No one is hit. Now, teacher, 42-year-old Dave Sanders, begins running through the cafeteria, warning students to get out. And there's actually... The cafeteria CCTV mm-hmm. footage is the only, like, actual footage yeah. of inside the school. And if you watch it, which I did, <laughs> luckily nobody's murdered in the cafeteria, so I didn't watch that. But um, you can see Dave Sanders running in and the students start clearing out. So that was good. I, there were a lot of teachers that did the right thing. You know, Patty Nelson mm-hmm. and Dave Sanders among them. And um, he he leaves the cafeteria and he winds up at the opposite end of the hallway from Eric and Dylan. They shoot him twice and he kind of collapses. And some students drag him into a nearby classroom, science room three, which contains a full class of students mm. that are hiding. Now, 1125 a.m., Patty Nelson reaches the library and also calls 911. And she tells all of the other students to, you know, get down, get their heads under the desks. Yeah. Everybody starts hiding. Then Eric and Dylan enter the library. This is where most of the blood happens. They meticulously go around the library shooting students for seven minutes. Mm. 17-year-old Patrick Ireland is hiding under a table with a friend. The friend is shot in the knee, and as Patrick goes to help him, his head briefly pops out from under the table. Mm. Patrick is shot in the head twice, and once in the foot. And he loses his consciousness, but he doesn't die. Holy shit. Yeah. Now, under another table are friends 18-year-old Isaiah Scholes, 16-year-old Matt Kechter, and 16-year-old Craig Scott. Craig Scott is the younger brother of Rachel Scott. (sighs) And then what happens? Eric and Dylan begin making fun of Isaiah for being black, according to Craig. And then they shoot Isaiah, and then they shoot Matt. And Craig pretends to be dead and somehow isn't shot. That's crazy. Super crazy. So, of those that are killed in the library are 17-year-old Cassie Bernal, who... The, the, the girl who said yes story was applied to her. 
but it was actually incorrectly applied to her. It was the do you believe in God and then she was shot thing. Oh, okay. Yeah. It it wasn't actually her, but like, we don't have to get into it. Okay. It was a different girl. The story was actually true, but it was about a different girl who had been shot earlier mm-hmm. and she did survive. And then there was 14-year-old Stephen Curnow, 17-year-old Corey DePooter, 16-year-old Kelly Fleming, 16-year-old Matthew Kector, 15-year-old Daniel Mosser, 18-year-old Isaiah Schulz, 16-year-old John Tomlin, 18-year-old Lauren Townsend, and 16-year-old Kyle Velasquez. It's a lot of children's. It's a lot of children's. So, 10 kids die in the library. And more are wounded. And that's the next diagram is the library. It shows where where people were shot. Mm-hmm. Uh, at least those who were killed. Yeah. Then 11.36 a.m., Eric and Dylan finally leave the library and go down the hall towards the science room. Most of the remaining students in the library flee. As you would. like. Oh, yeah. my God. The shooter was finally left. Let's go. So, 11.44 a.m., they re-enter the cafeteria, and CCTV footage from the cafeteria mm-hmm. actually shows Eric attempting to shoot at the duffel bags oh, they had left in there. Yeah. Eventually, I think what actually happens is he throws a pipe bomb mm-hmm. that starts a fire. Okay. I don't think the duffel bags ever actually worked. And it starts a fire, so the remaining students who had been hiding under the tables in the cafeteria flee. Then the sprinklers go off, and then the fire alarm begins to sound. Okay. And the fire alarm just keeps going. It's not turned off. Which just adds to the stress. Yeah, to the stress and the terror. One of the students outside had recognized Eric Harris. Mm -hmm. Police are able to search his name and find his criminal record, and that his file contains the name of Dylan Klebold. So this is the first time that the outside police are like, okay, it's these I think two. we know who's shooting. Yeah. Other students outside have also reported multiple shooters, though. So basically, you've got these two boys that there's distinctly two shooters, mm-hmm. right? One of them takes off the jacket. Another one takes off the jacket. Now you have four. One of them turns his hat around, right? Right, Okay. Then you also mix this with the complication of the school being on a hill, which is why I showed you those Uh pictures. So basically they could get from the first floor to the second floor really easily. And, or it could appear that they were shooting on both the first floor and the second floor at the same time. Again, adding to them, maybe there's a whole bunch of shooters. Yeah. Okay. That makes sense. So at 12.02 p.m., police can hear gunfire coming from the library. Mm. Dylan and Eric had returned, counted to three. Eric shot himself through the mouth, Dylan through the side of his temple. But it's not over. Okay. At 12.06 p.m., SWAT team enters the school from separate locations, planning to move towards the gunfire. There's no longer gunfire. So they don't know where to go. So they have to methodically move room by room. Mm. And I I haven't shown you a whole layout, yeah. but just from the two diagrams that school. I did show you, 
It's a big school, and it's a windy school. Mm-hmm. So at 12.34 p.m., Richard Costaldo is finally rescued. Mm. He's that first yeah. kid that got shot and paralyzed. <laughs> at 1.09 p.m., a SWAT team enters through a ground floor window into the cafeteria. They have to walk through about a foot of water to get to the kitchen because of the sprinklers. Oh. Where they find 30 students hiding. And at this point, because the shooting's potentially over, but they don't actually know where the shooters are, every student, everyone that they find inside the school is taken out with their hands above their head and frisked before they're allowed to leave. (sighs) It's so traumatic. And then, yeah. And then add to that, a bunch of kids have called 911. Mm-hmm. A bunch of teachers have called 911. And if they can't get through nine one to 911, they've called local television. Oh, no. And radio and media. So there's also a ton of media there. Mm. Which is, again, how this got so sensationalized. Yeah. Because the media was there during the shooting. Mm. And... They're outside for the first time after the most traumatic thing that's ever happened to them. Mm -hmm. And the media are asking them questions. That's so fucked up. Which again is how we get these completely incorrect statements. Right. No one is going to say anything coherent at that time ever. No, not at all. And, and so, like, when people first come out, they're like, oh, they're shooting everyone, everyone's dying, blah, blah, blah. And then slowly, the narrative starts forming, oh, they're shooting jocks, oh, they're shooting people because they were black, oh. Yeah, know? yeah, exactly. And and it's it's basically, you have a kid who is doing adrenaline brain, who may or may not even know Dylan and Eric. You know, it's a school of 2,000 kids. Right. And they're being asked these questions in a kind of leading way. Oh, yeah, I know that kid. I think they were one of the nerds. Oh, I know that kid. I think they were one of the, the, the goth kids. You know, they were really into death and violence. And they, like, painted their nails black and shit. Right. And they wore trench coats to school. Yeah, using, like, traumatized teenagers are not, no. They're not going to yeah. give you valid information. And, like... I partially understand that, like, we didn't really understand how trauma brain worked back then. But also, the media was so insanely evil this, like, around well, this time. Like, I think regardless of not even understanding how trauma brain works, it's just so wildly inappropriate to try and interview yeah, teenagers after being just, in a school shooting. Yeah, it's just really, really violative. Yeah. Violative? Violating? That's a word. Violating. That's a word. Mm-hmm. That's the actual word. That is word. the actual word. Everyone drink. <laughs> so at 1.45 p.m., Dave Sanders is still alive, but he's bleeding to death. Students post a sign in the window stating one bleeding to death. Uh. 2.38 p.m., Patrick Ireland regains consciousness mm. after having been shot in the head twice. That's so scary. He can't stand up. His whole right side is paralyzed. He crawls across the floor using his good leg and makes it to the window. And a SWAT team on the ground sees him and comes to the window. 
he falls out head first and they catch him. Oh my god. It's this really famous news clip because they caught it live mm-hmm. and it's 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 wild. It's lo- it looks like the the window is just sort of pushing out a thing that then falls a person. Oh man. You know, because he's half paralyzed. Yeah. So he's like barely dragging himself out and then he just falls. Ugh. It's wild. But, you know, good news for Patrick Ireland, he was actually able to recover extremely well. He was valedictorian for his graduating class. He was able to walk again, all that jazz. Holy shit. Well, good job, Patrick. Yeah. So that's kind of like a wow, cool part of the story. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So 2.42 p.m., police finally reached the science room. And shortly after, while waiting for medical services to arrive, Sanders dies. So that's our 13th victim is the teacher, Dave Sanders. And I can't really blame the SWAT team because they were going through room by room, making sure that they did. Yeah, they have to do it that way. You know? I could see. They had to do it that way. And like, it was a little bit of a foobar, but I, I, I don't blame the on the ground police. I blame the police that didn't fucking submit that goddamn affidavit. Yeah, precisely. <laughs> you know, for sure. Yeah. So 3.22 p.m. police reached the library over, what, four hours later? Wait, oh, man. No. Yeah, four hours later. That's so long to be just scared in the library with dead friends. And that's when they finally find the bodies of Eric Harris and Dylan Klebold. (sighs) And they're finally sure that they found the the shooters because their bodies are lying next to their guns as well as several bombs. And... I have not posted the picture, but I have posted the diagram. Yeah, I saw the diagram. Yeah. Because I see these pictures so that you don't have to. Thank you. I don't want to. (laughs) So later that day, the Harris home is searched. And the next day, the Klebold house was searched. And evidence is found in both homes, including pipe bomb materials and their journals. And in Harris's home is what has widely become known as the basement tapes. Okay. Which are... So they had, they had created other recordings of themselves for, like, school projects mm-hmm. or just because, like, they had um, school video recording equipment. That's where you find most of your footage of Dylan and Eric Klebold. Yeah. Dylan and... Dylan and Eric Cleveland. <laughs> Dylan Cleveland and Eric Harris. <laughs> sounding like they're married, which too many people have already done the ship. <laughs> but these these tapes in specific are Dylan and Eric. They, they made f- within the months preceding the massacre. I think the furthest back they go is maybe March. Okay. And then it leads up. And they explain exactly what they're doing and why and how they plan to do it. And what seems most likely Mm -hmm. is the boys were angry about the arrest for the van. But that was just the sparking incident. Yeah. You know, Mm -hmm. what it really was is you had the psychopath and the depressive. You had this guy who wanted to kill all people because he was angry and he wanted control. And you had this guy that just really wanted to die. And his friend gave him an exciting suicide method. Right. Method. A thrilling and 
a glorifying way to do it. Yeah. And the basement tapes have actually been withheld from the public. Really? So you can read the police report on what's on what's contained in mm-hmm. them. But th- so I actually understand they've they've been withheld from the public for fear of inspiring for future crimes. Okay. Because not only the, do they go into the why, they go into the how. Okay. And according to Jeffco mm-hmm. police, they were destroyed in I think the early 2000s. Oh, really? Because they don't want them inspiring future crimes. So they basically want it to be so that no one ever will get a hold of them. Right. Interesting. So I also included a picture of all of the victims. I saw that. And we'll definitely post that. I didn't really go into a lot of details about them. However, shout out Fear and Fame. They did a Columbine episode. They do go into details of the stories of each of these victims. Mm -hmm. So, you know, big shout out for that one. Yeah, that's important. Because after the victim story that I told last time, I just don't. It's just too much. It's just, we can't do it. I can't do it. I can't do 13 more kids. (laughs) So this, this rampage that lasted 49 minutes. Eric and Dylan kill 12 students, one teacher, they wound 24, and then they take their own lives. So we've talked about the myth, but let's like really, I've kind of made a a section to talk Mm -hmm. about it, you know? So the boys were bullied. The boys were nerd. They were goths. They were introverts. They had no friends. There was a belief that the boys were bullied kids who were getting revenge on the jocks who bullied them. Mm-hmm. There was a rumor that Klebold was gay because he was involved in the theater department. Oh, of course. When we know that they were both actually insanely homophobic. Mm. Which is sometimes an indicator, but, you know. Yeah. But, so one of the things that that I read up on was Eric Harris had, you know, his webpage. Mm-hmm. One of the big things on it was this, like, you know what I hate. Yeah. And um, he he kind of contradicts himself a lot, as teenagers yeah. do. It, it was very teenager-y. You know, he says, you know what I hate? I hate racists. But then he also says, you know what I hate? I hate immigrants. I hate immigrants. <laughs> and, like, he says a bunch of stuff about, like... It's just very problematic, yeah. which is very, like, teenager Yes, definitely. Okay. But then he says, you know what I hate? Homosexuals. It's just wrong. It's just wrong. So we know that they hated the gays. They did hate the gays. We know that one. Yep. That is for sure. <laughs> also, there's a rumor that they were Satanists. Probably, you know, came off of the goth thing. And the, the satanic panic, thing. everything. Mm-hmm. That was only a decade prior. The shooting was blamed on their parents, on Eric Harris being on antidepressants, on violent movies and video games and Marilyn Manson m- music, which they didn't even listen. They didn't listen to Marilyn Manson. They listened to KMFDM and fucking German industrial bands. That's true. Although <laughs> Marilyn Manson was a really popular target in the early 90s as far as like 
Yeah, destruction they, like, of the youth. Marilyn Manson. Yeah, he also was pretty like, extreme. Like, <laughs> yeah, but he wasn't like a particularly. He he didn't really advocate for violence. He was just creepy. Yeah, that's yeah exactly. I'm saying that his variety and, of creep was uh, concerning. Uh, yeah, yeah. But I mean, yeah, I think that's the parents' thing is like getting creeped out by creepy shit. Yeah, and not actually listening to what the message is in the music. Yeah, you know. But whatever. Also, so the same day of the shooting, I didn't talk about this before. I should have. Chris Morris, who was the nerdy trench coat mafia mm-hmm. friend, was arrested on camera because they believed that he may have been involved. Oh. And he's this nerdy goth kid. So that, again, perpetuates the nerdy goth Right, man. because he was arrested for really no reason. Because he actually was a geek. Yeah. And, okay, so it, it's kids like this kid. Right. Right? I mean, and I could see how somebody and, would form that conclusion. Yeah. And then we also get into the police withholding documents from the public for a really long time. Because it was a lot easier for the police to allow the public to believe all of the bullshit than it was to let the public know that the police should have been able to prevent this. Yeah, that they should have just filed that warrant when they had the chance and everything probably would have been okay. Yep. So, you know, retrospectively, between a mixture of the basement tapes reviews and, you know, a review of their journals is the reason that we actually know their motives, which is really just anger. Yeah. You know? It was just... Anger that they had no tools to process, no desire to process. They they were mad for having gotten arrested. And otherwise, they were just mad at the world the way teenagers mm-hmm. are. You know? It wasn't that they were bullied. It wasn't that their parents were bad parents. It wasn't that they were watching violent videos. <sighs> I don't like that. And I don't know. I guess that's what's so hard about it is that... It's easier to be like, oh, yeah, these kids were bullied. That's easier. Yeah, because it gives you an answer. But no, they were just... Extremely emotionally cruel. unhealthy. Is a lot harder to deal with. Yeah. Because that's not a good why. Well, it's, it's harder <laughs> to identify. That's the thing. It's harder to, you know, unless, you know, somebody straight up calls the police and makes a report... It's oftentimes harder to identify than, like... Except for that one time that somebody straight up called the police and made a report. Mm -hmm. Except for that one time. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, since then, we... So, So the first one that I really remember, you know, the one that affected me, and you probably, was Virginia Tech. Mm -hmm. In 2007, 23-year-old Sanquicho killed 32 people than himself on a college campus. Yeah, that's what I was thinking of. In 2012, Aurora, Colorado, 24-year-old James Holmes entered a screening of The Dark Knight Mm. in Colorado Movie Theater, killed 12, injured 70. I remember that one really well, too. Also 2012, Sandy Hook, Mm. 20-year-old Adam Lanza shot his mother at home, then drove to an elementary school in Newtown, Connecticut, where he killed 20 children 
six adult staff, and then himself. Mm. In 2014, Isla Vista, 22-year-old Elliot Rogers, killed his three roommates by stabbing them to death, then went on a shooting rampage in his car, killing three more and injuring 14, then killing himself. That one also really fucked me. I don't like that. The Isla Vista Yeah, I don't like that. Because Homie was literally doing it as an incel. Ugh. It was literally revenge on women for not fucking him. That's so gross. In 2015, the Charleston Church shooting. 21-year-old Dylan Roof entered the Emanuel African Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, South Carolina, and opened fire, killing nine. In 2015, Planned Parenthood Colorado Springs, 57-year-old Robert Louis Deer Jr. shot up a Planned Parenthood, killing three and injuring nine. 2015, San Bernardino, a married couple, 28-year-old Syed Rizwan Farouk and 29-year-old Tashfin Malik killed 14 and injured 22 at a work Christmas party. 2016, this one fucked me. Pulse Nightclub, 29-year-old Omar Mateen entered the gay Pulse Nightclub during Pride Weekend in Florida, killed 49 patrons, wounded 53, and died in a police shootout. Mm. 2017, Las Vegas shooting. 64-year-old Stephen Paddock opened fire on a country music concert from his hotel window in Las Vegas, killing 58 attendees, wounding 422 with gunfire. In the panic and crowd, the number of wounded increased to 851. He then took his own life. In 2017, Southern Baptist Springs Church shooting. 26-year-old Devin Patrick Kelly entered the First Baptist Church in Sutherland Springs, Texas, and opened fire. He killed 26, injured 20 more, and he was shot by a bystander, but he was able to flee. He died after a high-speed car chase and a self-inflicted gunshot wound to the head. So much for good guy with a gun. <laughs> 2018, Parkland shooting. 19-year-old Nicholas Cruz entered the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School that he had been previously expelled from. He killed 17 and wounded 17 more. 2018, Pittsburgh Synagogue shooting. 46-year-old Robert Gregory Bowers shot up the Tree of Life congregation in Pittsburgh during Shabbat morning services. He killed 11 and injured 7 in the deadliest attack on Jewish community in U.S. history. In 2019, Christchurch mosque shootings. Just a month ago, on the other side of the world, a white nationalist in New Zealand led two consecutive terrorist attacks beginning at the Al-Noor Mosque and continued to the Linwood Islamic Center, killing 50 people Mm -hmm. and injuring another 50. What the fuck, you guys? That's not all of them. That's just a long list. So here's my moral for the series. When you break a bone, you go to the hospital. You fix it. You heal, and you're stronger at the place where you broke. Or you can try to walk it off. You don't fix it. It heals incorrectly, and it's either harder to fix or it's unfixable. Where is this analogy getting at? Give me your meaty conclusion. We can either deal with this problem... Or we can continue to try to walk it off. Yeah, I think that's a problem that's actually worth addressing. Like, with everything that's going on, maybe not accusing high school students or young people of being liberal snowflakes because they don't want to die in school is not the most productive thing we could be doing right now. Yeah, these are all, these are all real 
and the body counts are increasing. Like, the Pulse nightclub was the biggest body count Mm -hmm. until one year later. Yeah. They're outdoing each other. This, this isn't okay. I don't know. I mean, gun reform would be nice. Mental health reform would be nice. Yeah, I think a lot more mental health care outside of anything would make a lot of situations in our country better and would definitely make people safer. Yeah. And I mean, when I say gun reform, I don't mean people coming for your guns. Nobody's coming for your guns. I mean, maybe let's close the gun show loophole. Maybe let's... We we could literally make it so that, like, you get a license. Mm -hmm. You know, like, you yourself get a license that says, I can buy guns. So you do the background check and the waiting period and all that jazz to get the license. And then you can just go and buy guns. That literally makes it easier for you and the gun operator. Or the the gun salesman. Yeah. Yeah, if you go to stores, you could do whatever. There's no issue. It would... It would only make it harder for the bad guys to get the guns. But the argument gets... Like, the laws the laws are not trying to make it harder for the good guys to get the guns. No, the argument just gets conflated. It is. But... Yeah. That's my bummer ending to a bummer series. That's a super bummer ending. I don't, I'm glad it's over. I'm glad we got through it for some reason. I don't know. <laughs> I always feel kind of glad that we did this after the fact. Yeah. It was... I don't know. I I was inspired to tell this story because of the anniversary of Columbine coming yeah. up. And... I'm, it became a bigger story. Yeah. Well, and it, again, it's just like so many other things we talk about. I think it's like important that people are discussing. It just sucks. Yeah. Just the, just the everything of it. It is, it is really overwhelming and is really hard to deal with, but I think it would be easier to deal with if we all dealt with it together. If we stopped trying to walk it mm-hmm. off, you know, we start having hard conversations together, it'll be easier. Yep. Yeah, that's completely true. So. I'm sorry, but also thank you. Yeah. Thank you, <laughs> listeners. <laughs> um. Follow us on the stuff. Give to our Patreon if you can. Or want to. Or both. Can, can and want, want to, to yes. actually, is what we need. We need both of those. That's the magic combination. <laughs> we need both of those. <laughs> and, you know, hit us up if you have any any requests or any um, opinions. Leave us reviews. That's great. Yes, I love reviews. Yeah. Yeah. So much. So. Okay. Kiss your kids tonight. Oh, <laughs> dark but true. <laughs> All right. Okay, love you. Bye. bye. bye.